What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome to your main event of the Smart Out Moment Smack Talk podcast for the week. We are talking Mount Rushmore. We're going to get into explaining what that means in a moment. But first things first, just want to say hello to everybody. And I want us to say hello individually. The panel. That's what we're going to introduce first. I am your host as always, Tony Mango. And joining me as always are the usual suspects here. We've got Robert DeFelice. Hello. And Callum Wiggins. Hey. So the three of us are going to pick four people, and that is what the Mount Rushmore is. Just four people. doesn't matter what it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Imagine if that was the Mark case. Mark Andrews. <laughs> uh, uh, no, George Washington, Abe Lincoln. Boo. <laughs> now, what we're doing here is the Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling. We've done two of these before, one of them being the Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling in general. And the other one being Mount Rushmore of women's pro wrestling. And we're going to change it up a little bit here because we could have technically done something like the tag teams or the Mount Rushmore of, uh, I don't know, intercontinental champions or something like that. But since there's been a lot of discussion lately on who is in charge on Monday Night Raw uh, between Baron Corbin, Alexa Bliss, Kurt Angle, Stephanie McMahon, all these other kind of potentials and stuff like that now's the best time really than any for us to talk about authority figures. And if you don't know what qualifies an authority figure in this discussion, it's essentially we're going to factor in anybody who had power over Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, NXT, any of those shows. You know, it's not the people that are behind the scenes like Kevin Dunn, for instance. It's the people like the general managers or the commissioners or people that were labeled a sheriff or lieutenant commissioner. We've had people that are interim general managers. We have people that are assistants, but they really essentially serve as like a backup general manager and stuff. So there's a lot of different people. And my list is an impressive amount. I mean, uh, I took down everybody that I could think of that has been in any kind of like capacity other than, you know, one time John Cena gets to call one shot on one show. Well, that doesn't really count and stuff like that. But the people that I do have, there is a list of, I'm double checking right now, 45 people. If you just group together all the guest celebrity GMs and stuff. So there's way more than 50. Um, and that, is where we should pretty much start is we should just start knocking people out that definitely are, are a no. I would say one name that we need to knock out for sure. Just a guaranteed no is Donald Trump. Uh, if only America would have said the same thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a no from me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously going to be a no for me. On this Mount Rushmore, the real Mount Rushmore, any other future <laughs> Mount Rushmore. But I will say, as a 15-year-old, when he hosted Raw that night and it was free, 
and it was basically like a commercial a commercial free pay-per-view on Monday night. I thought it was pretty cool. Didn't that cause like WWE stock to take a huge hit when he was named the because they they WWE do the thing that they always do, which they actually put out an official press release suggesting that Donald Trump had bought the company from Vincent Man and the stock prices just tumbled. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing they did when they they set out a press release saying that Vincent Man had died. Ridiculous. Like, oh, this yeah. company's ridiculous. Yeah. And um, yet America still didn't have better sense nearly ten years later. Yeah, that's true. I mean, maybe they looked at that and said, well, if uh, Trump is president, he'll give us no commercials. <laughs> I think just based off of, like, uh, bias, we can knock out Willie Gilsenberg and Hisashi Shinma because when we were discussing this idea to begin with and kind of brainstorming, none of us had any idea who the hell those people were. Yeah, that gets into a little more, like, territorial era stuff. So I don't think they're gonna make it on this Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I mean, I, I did I did a little bit of digging as I I, I tend to do in these situations. Um, the Gilsenberg one, he seems to be a guy that was actually as close to a real president in WWF at the time as it was, as it actually as any of these people probably was, in terms of the fact that he actually handled a lot of the actual management of the company alongside Vincent Man. So even though the title was given to him quite ceremonially. He still actually did a lot of like running of the company, probably more so than any other quote unquote president besides Vincent Mann. Hmm. So I think he deserves at least to, uh, again, he won't make it onto the actual Mount Rushmore, but like a little tip tip of the cap to him for actually doing a job that was important to <laughs> WWE at the time. More so. Go ahead. There's one more name on this list that. We'll kind of fit that description, and we'll get to him later, and then that'll be a uh, gorilla monsoon. Oh yeah, that's true as well. Actually, I had him in my middle tier. Oh yeah, we're not going to like rule him out essentially, but like a, a guy that actually had some sort of power backstage, nah. actually like supporting the McMahon side of things, as opposed to just being a character essentially. Yeah, let's get into monsoon in a little bit. Um... Yeah, and in terms of Hisashi, like that was mainly just due to the fact that WWE had a relationship with New Japan at the time. Hmm. That's kind of really it. It seems like, and we'll talk about this with like Jack Tunney a little bit down the line as well, in the sense of it's, they seem to make presidents out of people that they were trying to build relationships or trying to increase the fan base in. So they picked Hisashi because of his Japanese fan base and the fact that they WWE were combined with New Japan at the time, or at least had a working relationship. And then Jack Tunney being a Canadian, they were trying to expand into Canada and decided they'd give the Canadians a familiar face to latch onto. Hmm. I didn't so, even know that he was uh, Canadian. Well, yeah, we'll talk about... Uh, I'll go into a little bit more digging that I've done with him when we actually get to him, because I assume he's a lot more likely to be... have at least a contender spot for this uh, Mount Rushmore. So, yeah or nay, uh, we can knock out Otunga, David Otunga. Yeah. Yeah, we'll uh, kick him out just like uh, Jennifer Hudson did. I think we can take out Brad Maddox. Yeah, not memorable enough. Yeah. Um, actually, it was a Brad Maddox-led segment. That was the first time I ever questioned why I watched pro wrestling to begin <laughs> with. So, yeah. Was <laughs> it the same time? Maddox. It was the same <laughs> um, It was a, a really awkward uh, 
highlight reel where it was like Brad Maddox, The Miz, Wade Barrett, and Jericho, and it was a train wreck that even the announcers at the time shit all over. And that's what I associate Brad Maddox with is shit. So I actually liked Brad Maddox, but I just think in the grand scheme of things, like there's no debate he's not on the Mount Rushmore. Like it's just an immediate no for me i genuinely i genuinely just can't believe that it took you that long to just hate wrestling at that point just like what question why you don't watch wrestling or anything along those lines that's another discussion for another (laughs) day uh in the grand scheme of being not just memorable at all tiffany has to go to much more insatiable much more memorable in a tna yeah tna mainly but other than Nothing in ECW. For the same regard, Armando Alejandro Estrada. He was better than Tiffany as far as like he seemed to serve more of a purpose with like uh his character was built more around it. Like Tiffany was more of a you know, Taron's more of a wrestler than a general manager, but Estrada to me, I mean he was on ECW. Nobody cared. He had the most iconic segment ever. We've been over this already. He was the man Braden Walker came a knocking for, <laughs> and that was maybe the only memorable thing about either one of their WWE careers. Oh, he was the manager of Umaga. He was good in that role. Yeah, um, I mean, he, he he could have been better off if he would have been in a different position. I think ECW yeah. was a dead zone. He wrestled for a bit on ECW as well, didn't he? Yeah. Yes. God, they were that was in dark times for the extreme brand. For everything. Oh, yeah. I don't think anybody's going to make a case for the guest celebrity general managers, right? There are a couple of good ones, but as a general concept, it was it seemed a bit desperate. Just seemed like, yeah. oh, well, wrestling's so cool. We bring, like, you got Hugh Jackman appearing and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. It's like, uh, hey, remember that episode with ZZ Top? The only one that I would ever make a case for being just the most entertaining thing ever was um, The Price is Right host. I, his name Bob Barker. Me. Parker, oh, yeah. Barker, thank you. He was, yeah, he's probably the main one that comes to mind just for The Price is Right segment with Chris Jericho. But I think it, it just, it leans on like a wider problem with WWE and wrestling in general in the fact that Obviously, they leaned a lot on celebrities for like the early stage of the rock and roll wrestling thing. For, for the most part, wrestling fans just want to watch wrestling. Yeah. And they don't really just want to see celebrities like... Uh, who? Oh, who was it? It was... um, I can't remember his name because he's so unmemorable. Is it Jeremy Piven or something like Jeremy that? Jeremy Piven and Ken Jeong. Yeah. yeah. Who's Summerfest and stuff Summer like Fest, that. Summerfest, yeah. <laughs> so like, if they would have actually brought Summerfest in the mix, then, you know, then they would have been a part of things. But no. It, it would have been it would it would have been fine if like all the people that came in actually liked wrestling and were fans of wrestling, but most of the people in it just were there for a payday or to promote their new movie or television show or album coming out. Just yeah, or or bunch of shit really. By the way, I don't want to get out of this without saying that's another horrible thing we have to thank the Donald Trump gimmick for because he started that and they kept it going and damn Trump. So stop me if you think that there's a talking point with some of these people. Um, Lieutenant Commissioner Deborah. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I can think of two reasons why she was a good, she'd be a good choice. Yeah, that's uh, a... she made good cookies for a while. I honestly don't think that there is much of a discussion to be had about Eve Torres as an assistant general manager. She was what she was. Yeah, she, she was. She looked nice with the glasses on. Yeah, uh, it's assistant role, nothing important. Bret Hart to me, I didn't even remember that he did anything. Could have been really good, but it was too brief. Yeah. Honestly, I would throw uh, Sheriff Steve Austin as like a no, a guaranteed no. To me, that's just him being he was a regular character while, kind of though. thing, you know? But he was in that role for a while. I think it's worth a discussion. Well, he was technically general manager for a while, and then when he was relieved as his duties as general manager, he became the sheriff for a while, but he wasn't really around that often. It was kind of like just a set, well, again, all these ones are ceremonial things, but he didn't actually wield too much power beyond like mid 2005. You're the damn good sheriff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it, it was fun to just have Austin still around in some sort of capacity when he couldn't wrestle anymore. So, like, from the 2003 period where he was general manager up until, like, kind of ending the sheriff theme without any real sort of gravitas to it. I was going to ask you how it ended. I don't remember it ending at well, all. I don't, I don't either. It's like some of these... It, it's it's a running thing with some of these general managers. It, it just kind of ends. And yeah. nobody really talks about it. They don't, they don't need to, to come up with where it. where it would have stopped, though, because he was big through WrestleMania... 20 right yeah he was like he was in the um or was that it was it just i think he, he kind of was just with it. goldberg and brock and then they all three of them just sort of disappeared yeah i think he kind of just went back into the background as just like an an occasional like legend appearance after that point but i can't the, i can't say the next so. thing i recall from him was the piper's pit a year later with roddy and that already speaks volumes. If you can't even remember how it ended or when it ended and stuff, was it really all that memorable as like a general manager for the Mount Rushmore to me? No. Oh, apparently, well, apparently just like as a cursory glance through his Wikipedia page, said that on April 17th, WWE announced they were unable to settle contract disputes with Austin. So the company actually parted ways with him at that point. Mm. Uh, we can knock out Linda McMahon, right? I mean, I wouldn't. That'd be... Like me. I'm pretty sure we can knock her out just like one <laughs> stiff punch. <laughs> well, then we have to answer to Trump. <laughs> well, it's, as Stephanie showed, it just takes one slap to the to the face and she goes down. But I don't know. She she was very good at blocking that. After a while, she might see it coming. I don't. I don't know why this is turned into a like discussion about beating up Linda McMahon. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I mean, it's she held the role as the um, CEO of WWE for a long CEO. time. Yeah, and she was the real like CEO of the company, but she is like such a terrible character. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 one good thing she ever did was stand up from a chair. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even argue with it though. That's the thing. Um, yeah, I guess we get we we can pass her, but she is at least worth saying. She did a lot for the company in a legitimate authority role. Yeah, it is quite. It, yeah, and it's quite funny that basically her entire political career since then has been trying to distance herself from the company. Yeah. Up in the first place. 
That, to me, rules out... I had four different tiers. Actually, I kind of technically had five, but um, that's like one of some like subdivision. But that, to me, is the definitely, definitely a no category. Now I have another group that's a no for sure before we start getting into the ones that I would think at the very least are worth a uh, more weighted discussion. Um, and of course you guys might disagree. And of course, if I bring up something like that, then by all means, let's jump on it. But moving up to my next tier, I've got Alexa Bliss and uh, Constable Corbin because right now we can't really judge what they're doing. And it's kind of hard to be like, all right, well, they're on the Mount Rushmore and Alexa Bliss is on there because she just looks amazing in her, like, uh, uh, formal wear. And I really like Constable Corbin in a lot of ways, but if his whole thing ends right now, I mean, well, technically next week, I still don't think he's worth being in the, the Mount Rushmore. But if this continues, he could very well be. I really like him in the role. And I really like Alexa Bliss in the role, too. It's just too too early, you know? I think if Bliss ends up in this role on a more permanent basis, which rumors would suggest that that's not going to be the case, then maybe somewhere down the line, if this was ever done again, we could have her on. But I'm going to completely disagree with you on Corbin. He is like the Brad Maddox of 2018, like, if this stopped tomorrow, you wouldn't remember it a year from now. I think this I, is the best thing that Corbin's done. But that's saying a lot of how shit Corbin has been since his <laughs> entire Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, it's, that's not a compliment to, oh, Corbin's doing really well in his role. It's just like, wow, he's on TV a lot. And like, he wouldn't be in other situations. Uh, Corbin just, Corbin, a lot of the factor of like Raw being so bad, I think I placed firmly at Baron Corbin's doorstep. And it's not his fault, it's what he's given, but he's on TV far too much. It's I agree. Like that episode of Raw last week, like the one that many people have deemed the worst Raw of all time, obviously we disagree with that but because we've seen enough Raws to know how bad it can be, but that was a very, very bad episode of Raw. And he was on it for about an hour of the entire show, either wrestling or doing backstage segments or in the ring or whatever. It's just, it's too much. And I think that's completely tarnished any opportunity. Even if he held the role for another like 10 years, I'd never want him to be on this Mount Rushmore. I think yeah. when it comes to Alexa Bliss, in the short time that she's had power, she's already proven that she's better than Paige, which immediately makes me think Paige is a no. Oh, I disagree with that. What has what's, what's Alexa Bliss shown in the role? She hosted those two awful... Q&A sessions with Sasha Banks and Bayley. That's the thing, though. As bad as those things are, I believed in her authority figure role more than anything that Paige has done so far. And Paige is not bad. Like, I mean, I don't want to be like, you know, Paige is the same as when when Donald Trump was doing it or something like that. But, like, with Paige, I feel like that's somebody who's got nothing better to do, so she's in that spot. And with Alexa Bliss, it feels like, wow, at any point, if they wanted her to do that, she could succeed really well. I would, I would say um, that. Oh, you go ahead, Rob. Uh, I would, I'm going to disagree with you again. I like the way Alexa looks, yes. But i got to go with Callum here. She's done nothing in the role yet other than look good. So I think Paige is shining more than Alexa is in this role. What I would say about Paige, 
is the something that not a lot of people talk about because a lot of people do backer as a good gm and that's main uh, part of that is due to the fact that oh it's a, a woman gm that's actually given like a position of power and authority which you don't actually see very often apart from like stephanie mcmahon maybe in the past and a lot of people are big fans of Paige as well so they're going to support her and she does very well in the role she's very good on the microphone she does give a sense of gravitas to things even if it even if i do agree with you that it kind of feels like she was put into the role just because she retired right. rather than actually being seen as somebody with enough credibility behind her to have the role what i would say about her is that she's incredibly inconsistent but that's due to wwe's booking being incredibly inconsistent but unfortunately due to that thing it makes the characters look bad and she is very inconsistent with certain characters why does she give Charlotte so many title opportunities? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Why? Why was the um? Oh, that that that, that those are top ten rankings were instituted before. Ooh, yeah, she, no, that was <laughs> that was part of the Shane McMahon Daniel Bryan era. Yeah, but why does she give like um? I guess with like the Samoa Joe and AJ Styles thing, like why was Samoa Joe and AJ Styles getting so many matches for the championship and Shinsuke Nakamura and stuff like that? Why weren't other people getting matches and opportunities? It it just seems like she she is a victim of WWE's poor booking. And I feel like she has to deliver it. I feel like Paige doesn't have her own identity yet. Like you could give her the same exact uh give the same exact things that she does to virtually anybody else and it fulfills the same purpose. Like that is true. But I, I, I give her credit in the fact that she's neutral, or she appears mostly neutral. Even though she's a fan favourite, her decisions don't seem to favour one side over the other too often. And that's the biggest, my biggest bugbear with every general manager thing is that it's all heel-based. Yeah. So to have yeah. somebody in the role who kind of just plays to both sides and does what she thinks is right, regardless who it's going to piss off, is a benefit to her character as opposed to so many constant just revolving door of people oh we're gonna screw the baby faces because we have all the power yay although i'll spoil something ahead of time i have five people for my potential picks right now and two of them actually no three of them are baby faces so it's kind of be interesting if we end up going with leaning a little bit more towards heel anyway or you know um but we can all agree Paige is not in the discussion, right? For Mount Rushmore. It's yeah. too early. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I would say we can knock out Dusty Rhodes, too, because he was more of a behind-the-scenes thing to me than an actual on-screen authority figure worthy of a Mount Rushmore. If you're talking, like, influential people in NXT, he's guaranteed on there. He's NXT's. One of NXT's Mount Rushmore. He's the George Washington of NXT's Mount Rushmore. Well, him and Triple H, obviously. But on, to but, but as yeah. an authority figure, it's like they didn't quite have that platform yet, you know? Yeah, he was just like, it was kind of like when they were still transitioning away from the FCW thing, and he was just there as, obviously as a general manager, but didn't really do too much of significance in that role. Most right. of it, like gave you the say, most brand of credibility as they were building a new style. Yeah. His influence is mainly behind the scenes, you're right. Yeah, so that's that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, technically, if we're talking people that are influential in a power position, at least when it comes to NXT, he's guaranteed. But when it comes to WWE in general, then you start getting into more of like, you know, well, there's 
Bruce Pritchard and there's Kevin Dunn and there's whatever and all that other kind of stuff. But um, general manager Dusty Rhodes to me doesn't measure up. And the same thing for JBL. He was part of NXT for a little bit. Nobody really remembers it. No, and he's never going on any Mount Rushmore. It's a Mount Rushmore of absolute dickheads. I think he could have, though. Like, he could have really excelled at a general manager role. Gee, he just hasn't. Yeah, uh, hopefully he never does. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he has done a good job in that role. I put, this is, uh, that I had mentioned, this is my number four tier, like my uh, second from the last tier. I'd put Kurt Angle on there. I honestly don't think that Kurt Angle's done enough that he's even worth, like, that mid-range discussion he's fine but fine isn't good enough yeah, i agree he's he's a he's a legend to me obviously but i i can't disagree that his run as general manager was very very distressing as somebody who was a big fan of his work to see how not not how far he's fallen he wasn't terrible he wasn't mick foley levels of general manager stuff and we'll probably get to him later on because He's got a lot more reach than Angle did, but yeah, Angle's, he's my next highest up. <laughs> Ang- Angle's like first run as a general manager was mainly just to facilitate recovering from a neck surgery, and the next one was he was kind of inadequate, really. Right. I uh, his first run was marred by what we were talking about earlier with uh, the heels just screwing the baby faces and his second run has just been the worst acting I maybe have ever seen. I've seen some bad acting in WWE, but like Kurt Angle really flubs all over his line. <laughs> you know, I don't know. And I just love uh even like little things like when he's like, Oh, I'm here to check out the NXT crew. I really want to see what Asuka has to offer, whatever. <laughs> little things like that. What did he say? I Gender Mayhell. Gender Mayhall? Is that what it was? Gender Mayhell is going to fight Brock Lesnar. <laughs> it's like, again, more of these stupid inconsistency things as well. Like saying, oh, on, he would often say about things that in Raw we settle things in the ring. But then when Sasha Banks and Bailey have a disagreement, they go against counseling. Yeah. It's like, what? what? And again, it's just the victim of being, having to explain or at least project WWE's illogical decisions. One big flaw when it comes to general managers and authority figures and stuff is, and this is something that doesn't get addressed all that often, but if we're supposed to assume that these people have legitimate power, why is it that so many matches get booked on a whim? You mean to tell me that, like, for instance, last night on SmackDown, we have a contract signing, and Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville come out, and then Paige goes, all right, well then, you two are going to be in a tag team match against Asuka and Charlotte Flair. Without that happening, there's like a 15 minute gap of this episode that Paige didn't account for. Yeah, it's it's like amazing. I always <laughs> like to think of like like somebody like Ty Dillinger backstage going, "Oh fuck, screwed again. I can't get on the show because she keeps making these random matches." Yeah, <laughs> being like, time. "God, I had this match scheduled. She was going to put me against uh, I don't know, Aiden English or something." Yeah, Aiden English and. These two people came out and they just they took that spot from me. I guess next week I'm gonna come out and do like, I mean it, it's one of those things that like, and I find it really really funny too when people bitch and complain on Twitter 
to the authority figures and complain to them about how like Monday Night Raw is and stuff. Like Foley has said that before. People will be like, you know, hey, like Monday Night Raw sucks, and it's like, well, you do realize that McFoley's not actually fucking in charge, right? <laughs> like, yeah, you might as well no. be compl- you might as well be complaining to Corey Graves about how much it sucks or anything on those lines. People do or, that as well. Fuck, complaining to me about how you want to change Monday Night Raw. <laughs> <laughs> The last time people I can't change Raw to Tuesday nights or, you know, uh, book a pay-per-view in your town. I don't have the power for that. If I did, I'd have a lot more money. But, but you're right. It is just like an amazing situation of like, it just has been there for basically the entire time that Raw has been around. That They seem to go in without having all matches booked or all the free hours mm-hmm. accounted for. Yeah, it's like we're going to set up a 15-minute talking segment to set up what our main event is going to be. Okay, well then, by that rationale, heading into this episode at 7.58, anybody on the production staff was like, yeah, so what do we do tonight? <laughs> like, And the person at Tar was just like, well, figure it out. Let's go out and talk about, you know, I don't know. TLC is a great thing. Here's a video package, and then we'll sort out what matches are happening. Like, That's one of those stupid things that only started because of the current format which began in the attitude era because prior to that all matches were announced or at least assumed that they were occurring it was a very rare occurrence that it was like oh yeah well i'm not even gonna wait let's fight right now that was a very rare occurrence pre-97 right i mean you start things off with the vince mcmahon character in a certain regard about like hey, we're going to change things right now on a whim. But it's more so when you started getting into, like, quote-unquote general managers. Mm-hmm. And then things start going to shit. And then it's, that's it, why you get people like Mike Adamley, who I think Mike Adamley's worth a discussion in general, but not as far as Mount Rushmore. He's just worth a discussion because he's fucking interesting. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's worth a discussion. In the, in, it starts, the discussion starts with this question. What the fuck were they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I liked Mike Adamley in the role. I thought that he was one of those guys that he was like, he was ridiculous on commentary. Like, absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And now we know why. It's because he had been suffering from, like, brain damage, essentially. So it's like, fuck, I don't blame the guy. But... When you have him on commentary and he sucks as bad as he did, booking him as a general manager was easily the best decision to go with after that, outside of just releasing him. He was infinitely better as a general manager, mainly due to the fact that his role as a general manager was to be incompetent. Yeah. And he was so good at being incompetent. (laughs) Yeah, it was really great. But I also think it served another purpose. Like, it it was proof that this role is so inconsequential at times that all you really need is a person wearing a suit you know yeah that's true i mean uh you really kind of got away with it when it came to jack tunney um he's actually still above uh, a different tier for me but um he kind of proved that if you have somebody come out there and it's like this guy's in power he can say blah 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 is happening with the Mike Adamley, it's like, let's add a new element to this. He can also be completely a joke. And then we can play the general manager thing for laughs. So then it can be like, well, the general general manager in charge is not somebody who actually has power. He's just somebody who 
can call shots as bad as they are. And that actually extends a little bit to um, Jonathan Coachman. He's in the my same tier. Coach was a joke. He's always been a joke. But he was a joke because at the time when he was given a position of power, it's because he was McMahon's bitch. Yeah. You know, and he was just a good foil for DX to, you know, ram his head through a wall and spray paint his ass. Yeah, he served a really great purpose when it came to being a joke authority figure. But when he come to a Mount Rushmore, I can't put a joke person on there. You know? No, no. Like coach, like you say, Coach was great in the role of being just this ultimate suck up that was just there to like appease the the bosses above him and make sure he wasn't going to get into any sort of trouble himself, and then not constantly being foiled by the baby faces at every possible opportunity. And that was like a fun role for him to be. Now that he came, when he came back and was just like a super serious commentator, and realized how much he sucks at that. Kind of just hoping that he'd come back to a situation where. We can just take the piss out of him at every opportunity, and because that's what he's good at. Oh yeah. While we're on joke <laughs> characters, so uh, are we not going to talk about Stevie Richards as the general manager of Sunday Night Heat? I, I didn't even have him on my fucking list. <laughs> that was the thing. Oh, uh, it was the thing that he was on the show so much that he began to call himself. The general manager of Sunday Night Heat and wore <laughs> trunks that said Stevie Night Heat on them. God, that's changed my list now. Yeah, I mean, shit, the, we're talking middle tier already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. He'll show you. You'll see. Um, I would put Booker T in the no category. I think they've made you the fact that when I think when we were initially discussing it, the idea and I brought it up, or I've, I think I brought it up in the past and you said, Booker T was the general manager. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't remember him. Yeah, because yeah, he came on in that weird time where it was like they had got rid of Teddy and they didn't have anyone. So it was just like, oh, hey, Booker T is the GM now. Yeah, and I like Booker T in a lot of different ways, but that's just not one of his stronger suits. Yeah, he was just unmemorable in the role. And the main thing that I can, well, the, the stuff that I can vaguely remember of it, it seemed to be some sort of struggle for power between him and Teddy Long. And it just, like, that's not really a feud that I was particularly interested in. Uh, let's see what else I have here on this tier. I have um, Sergeant Slaughter, because to me, the most memorable thing Slaughter did in charge was get made fun of by DX. He also took quite a few Stone Cold Stunners. Yeah, but yeah. That's kind of, it's kind of it, really. Like, he was just the butt of DX's jokes. Yeah, that whole thing with the windshield wiper things, that was amazing. But you can't be on the Mount Rushmore or that for a joke. No, you know? but I'd credit him a lot with making DX as popular as they were. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Without having that authority figure that was just so... It's not the fact that he was incompetent, he just felt kind of powerless against it. And it was a guy, it was a guy like Slaughter felt that he was so powerful, or at least he had the belief in himself that he was powerful in making all the decisions and the fact that he was just constantly being like driven around the bend by DX just made DX the, like the rebels favorite to follow the ones that wanted to buck authority before Austin did for that matter though I think if they wanted to they could have been able to get something good out of him as like a legitimate GM 
because he's got the voice for it. He's a big guy. The whole military kind of thing could have translated pretty well. Like he could have if they would have booked him in a more serious role. I I could have bought it, uh, bought into that. I would have actually bought into that more than Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Yeah, well, Piper. When they gave it to Piper, they were just giving it to him because I think Monsoon might have he was sick been or something, working yeah. an injury, but it was also kind of genuinely ill, and that was a you know a way to segue into the feud with Goldust, where he had the wonderful line, "I'm gonna put some Y chromosomes." back where the x's are <laughs> yeah that's a placeholder thing it's like piper is great but just because he's great in other roles doesn't mean that his spot as a general manager or president or it was president right president yeah, he piper? Was president, yeah. yeah yeah it, it's just it doesn't translate well yeah, um, it, was, it was just something for him to do before he because he, he just kind of stopped wrestling for wwe and appearing in general the entire time and then a year later he was wrestling for wcw so that's Not even a year later, like yeah, six months. Yeah. I think when I think of Piper in this role, I think of the promos for the Iron Man match where you just have his voice over going, one hour, no timeouts, no DQs. And then <laughs> just, I don't, I don't know. I have very distinct memories of him, but again, it's just a two month thing. Uh, Shawn Michaels is on my definitely a no. He was, uh, was kind he of fun, a but or a commissioner, commissioner, or both. He was, he was, he was deemed a commissioner, but it's just a sense of like he was given the role for a bit, and it, it's it's odd how long it lasted. In the fact that it, in reality, it only really lasted a couple of months, but he was actually the commissioner for about a year or so. Yeah. It was another thing where it was like, what do we do with this guy? Let's give him a fake position of power. But, but I'm going to say he would be a wonderful GM for NXT should Regal ever need to step down. I think that, yeah, if he wanted to do something that was more on the serious side of things, General Manager Michaels could be a thing, yeah. I mean, I would, I would say that, but his mic skills aren't what they used to be anymore. I think, I think the main requisite you need to be in a general manager is well you need to have some measure of credibility but you need to be good on the microphone because that's what you're going to be doing the entire time and i don't think michael's is well a lot of nxt stuff are are pre-taped so i wouldn't put him on raw for three hours but i think he'd do good for nxt yeah well i wouldn't put baron corbin on there for three hours but they do that as well (laughs) (laughs) that's a good point all right so now in my brackets that i've got going on we're on the middle tier. These are the ones that are at least worth talking about, but I would still say no. And I think that we need to start off with one uh, that would have had more credibility up until just like two weeks ago, which is Drake Maverick. Uh, this dude was really good for 205 Live, and they literally pissed all over it. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, it was. It's uh, again, it, he falls victim a little bit to the two hundred five live curse and the fact that nobody's watching. So who the fuck cares? Right. But he was he was good in the role. He he came across as a credible, like pretty neutral. Obviously, still babyface, but a fairly neutral general manager. And then they stuck him with AOP, 
which was fine, but it was kind of clouding the lines between his babyface neutral role and being a heel on Monday nights. And then he just became a joke, as they tend to do with a lot of small people on Raw and stuff like that. Um, in the role as GM, the funniest thing to me was the way he would almost beg people to watch things with the cruiser. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you ever watched, like, when it was WrestleMania or SummerSlam, like, he would really implore, I know it's just the pre-show, but you gotta watch it. Yeah. It comes off a little sad, but it also came off a little bit genuine to me of being just kind of like, well, he's doing his job. Like he's, he's kind of making it like, I believed the idea that he was believing so much in two or five live that he would want to go out there and do that. Like it was almost kind of like, um, a worked shoot. Like I know he's not in a position of power and he's just playing a part, but if he was in a position of power, I'm sure he would want to go out and be like, guys, watch 205 live i swear it's amazing and that's why i kind of like i like i liked drake maverick in the role before he became the dude who just pees on robes and pees himself and yeah. i'm sure pisses on whatever he pisses on next week yeah i agree yeah too much, too much pee is a bad thing yeah aop should have just been ao I think we need to talk about John Laurinaitis. He was pretty good in a lot of ways, but uh, people power, not the best. That's actually a pretty good impression. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How long have you been hiding that for? I'm sure I've done the impression somewhere along the line. I don't know. Oh, but yeah, he, I, as a role as just a suck-up heel general manager that thought that he was doing such a good job when everyone hated him. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 a, it's a good character to have. When you try and balance it out to the fact that people actually did hate him and it was causing people to not <laughs> want to watch the show, it, it makes it a little bit harder to equate him as actually doing his job well as opposed to just people really just despising him. But it it's... I don't want to say it was memorable, but it it got some laugh value out of it, out of me and other people watching. It's memorable enough that when he pops up, people are like, ah, fuck. You know? All he has to do is smile and point up, and people are like, yeah, there's fucking Johnny Ace. Like, He's one of those people that will be perennially booed. Even yeah. Though, even though it's kind of like, oh, how funny it's John Laurinaitis, but they'll still boo him because that's his reputation. It's like, oh my god, John Wright's going to come on, something shit's about to happen. It's like, that was kind of his, what what he'll be known for. The way Tony feels about Baron Corbin, I feel about John Laurinaitis. I really enjoyed him in this role, especially with just the obnoxious, like, I'm the executive vice president of talent relations and the permanent general manager of <laughs> Raw and SmackDown. Like, it was just, it was funny, and he was a complete goofball. And, you know, you were going to see him get his because it's not like with a Vicky Guerrero where it's like, oh, she's really annoying, but none of the guys can actually do anything to her. 
with John, you could actually see something happen. It was a mistake that it wasn't Punk, considering the only reason he ever ended up being an honor character was the whole CM Punk thing. But I really enjoyed it. I unfortunately don't have an impression of of most of these other people. <laughs> uh, yeah, Laurenitis is a, one of those guys that I was just like, man, man, if this was like a top 20 list, he'd be on there for sure for me. Uh, actually, I don't know for sure, but yeah, he'd be at least in the discussion for that. Um, oh, I actually skipped over this one. Uh, AJ Lee is a no for me. Uh, she was really just popular because she was just popular. It wasn't more so about her being the general manager. It was just kind of like AJ Lee's really a thing right now, you know? She's very cute. Yeah. Um, just brief thing I want to cut in here. Uh, I'm watching NXT UK, and they actually threw in a crawl underneath the screen about the Dynamite Kid. That's different for WWE, and I actually think that's pretty cool. And actually, since you just brought up NXT UK, I completely don't have Johnny Saint on my list, but he's a definite no. Yeah. <laughs> he's, man, he's on the, the bottom tier. Booked a four-man fatal. Oh, what yeah, I, he, I mean, he went off the rails as far as I didn't even remember that he was a thing, and he literally just started not that long ago. So Johnny Saint's awful right now. He'll maybe grow into the role a little bit, but that four-man fatal thing was, <laughs> was pretty bad. Back, back to AJ Lee, it's, yeah, she was just like the big thing in wrestling at the t- time, and because they didn't want her to hold the championship at that sort of stage, then the the right role for her was to be in some sort of big authority situation, but I don't think she like she fit the role very well. She won't ever be on a Mount Rushmore. I've made no bones about this. I was a huge fan. And it was a good role for her because, like Cal said, they didn't want her wrestling. Read her book. It's fantastic. You'll learn a lot of things about her in this role and in wrestling, but it's a no for me. Yeah, it's going to be a no for me too, dog. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I channeled fucking, uh, what's his name, Randy? <laughs> what was that about? Like... Randy Jackson is his name? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Your impression of him is not as good as your Jordan Laurinaitis. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he started talking like Laurinaitis, then I could pull it off. It's a no for me, dog. <laughs> Uh, actually, I grouped these two people together because to me, they're very similar in a lot of ways. Mick Foley and Daniel Bryan. They both are great when it comes to baby faces that are just kind of like, hey, look at that. They're going to turn around and uh, change things up a little bit. But as much as they were kind of fun in some ways, they were also a little bit bland. And I just couldn't, in all good conscience, for either of them, put them on my number one or number two tier. I disagree on Foley. I agree on Daniel Bryan. Oh, that's I funny. That... I, I, I was just going to say, I disagree on Bryan. I agree on Foley. Um, I, I agree on Bryan because as good as he was in that role, the way it ended, and even with the Miz stuff throughout, it always seemed like they were building towards something that they didn't know if they were going to be able to pay off, and it got annoying. Um. But Foley, specifically for his commissioner run in the early 2000s, he was very good in this role. He made it his own. He had, like, 
funny one-liners. He wasn't as good in the GM role that we mostly remember with, uh, you know, Monday Night Raw. But that's because he was made to be Stephanie's bitch, and maybe that's what you guys are more so remembering than, like, his older stuff where he's actually good. I think the older stuff, it was it was a good, like, change of character for him in the sense that he just... I mean, he was kind of a goofball with Mankind and towards the end of his career anyway, but he went full-on just geeky dad mode for his commissioner role, which was fine, and it was a lot of fun, and it led to some really good segments with Edge, Christian, Kangle, Triple H, stuff like that. It was, it was, it was fine, but I think I agree with Tony in the sense that it was reasonably ineffective, and I think any hopes of him being it were kind of killed with both his general manager, his brief general manager run in two thousand three, which was only really to build up his eventual feud around the Orton, and the run as general manager in two thousand sixteen, which I think was. Like, really, really bad. Like, not even, like, close to being good. It was... It was painful to watch him because he couldn't remember his lines. He was completely emasculated by Stephanie McMahon on a regular basis. And even though you could kind of sense that he wanted to do something about it, he couldn't because it wasn't, like, it wasn't his place or he didn't have any sort of control over it. It just felt like somebody who was in the role that Stephanie was using to try and get popular to start with and then would just, but never really wanted in the role in the first place. And it felt like, again, you could have just put any popular legend from the Attitude Era into that role and it would have had the same effect, really. In terms of Daniel Bryan, I wouldn't put him on the Mount Rushmore just due to the fact that his tenure was only for like short of a year or something, on the, or maybe just over a year. I can't remember exactly, but... I, I appreciate the fact that he was a very consistent general manager and he was popular, obviously, because of the crowd and the yes chant and all that stuff. But he he went out of his way to put people over, I think. And his he played a big role in the resurgence of The Miz as a big character. Like He did a lot for AJ Styles and other people on SmackDown throughout the years. I think he saw his role in general manager as an opportunity to not only just still be in the ring, which he enjoyed, but to elevate other people around him and support the business in that way when he felt that he couldn't wrestle anymore. I'm actually going to cut in here. He said on a podcast with Jericho that being the general manager was really hard for him because it meant he always had to be around the ring, but he couldn't be doing what he love to do so there were a lot of times that he would want to do pre-tapes just so he could leave the building as fast as possible I'm, I'm sure he did have that side of things as well but there must have been a reason why he took it in the first place uh, besides the fact that well maybe the main reason was the fact that he was on a contract and so had to do something but but I, I think even though he may not have wanted to be there he did his job exceptionally well but I do want to uh, go back to the thing about baby faces because we have gotten so used to the heel, power-drunk GM that with Foley and with Dan- Daniel Bryan and probably some of the guys that we're going to talk about later, when they're not overbearing in the role, they become my favorite authority figures. And that's why I kind of enjoy Paige now and you know Bryan and Foley before her. 
I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's just a refreshing change of pace to not have the same exact heel story over and over and over again. And that, I mean, that might not necessarily be great when it comes to like, uh, you know, like, oh, this person did such a good job as general manager because they just weren't something else, you know, but it's still worth a discussion to have that. I mean, by, um, by math, if I put Foley and Brian in the no category, one of you agrees with one and disagrees with the other, then vice versa, that's already two no votes for Foley and two no votes for Brian. So they're both gone. Well, I, I didn't, I, I was, again, I said I was going to put, the, Brian's tenure was too short to merit being in that situation. Yeah. Um, let's see, let's go to, you know what, let's, uh, let's go a little old school here. Uh, Jack Tunney, to me, he filled his part extremely well, but it was a part that anybody could have played. It's just more so, if you were in that era, Jack Tunney meant something, and, you know, they had a couple segments here and there where it was like, Hi, everybody. I'm President Jack Tunney. We really hope that you guys show up for WrestleMania 8, like that kind of a thing and stuff. But Jack Tunney himself, as a performer and everything like that, he's a placeholder. He's the equivalent of just putting up a scarecrow, kind of, to me. Uh, For me, he's one of my first yeses because he did fill his role perfectly and yeah you can argue that anybody could have done it but he was a perfect authority figure he didn't overstep his role and he was just there to make major matches and for fans of that era he's like a part of that culture and i think he has to be at least on the mount rushmore and like that in the way that we put sherry on the mount rushmore for the women I think Jack Tunney should be on the Mount Rushmore in that respect. Yeah, I would hold him as part of the ones in the final deliberation. I completely agree with you, Tony. Any single person could fulfill that role. He wasn't very charismatic. He wasn't very uh, like compelling as a character in the sense that like, the only reason he got the job was the fact that WWE had bought, one out, bought out his promotion in Toronto. And they used that to basically buy out and run down every other promotion in the in Canada, essentially, to try and gain a monopoly over it. And that was the reason why he was given, well, at least a, a ceremonial amount of power through the president role. That and to try and connect with Canadian audiences as well that they were trying to reach out to. But it, it's it's not the like who he was in the role. It was how he was used that made him so good. Had that it only ever came out in really, really important moments to settle a big debate or an argument or an issue with the championship or a suspension or firing or something along those lines. And it's the fact that he was used so sporadically makes him a valuable figure because, oh my God, Jack Tunney's going to be saying something. This is really important. I've got to be paying attention to this. Whereas Baron Corbin or whoever in the past just makes so many proclamations at night you can tune it out because you're going to see it anyway whereas when Jack Tony said it, it, it obviously was not the most compelling guy doing it but it was compelling television because 
it was it, it meant that something important was happening. So I, I'm more giving the Mount Rushmore spot to the idea of Jack Tunney as opposed to Jack Tunney himself. Yeah, that's that's my distinction. But I'll I'll put him in the uh, in the maybes for right now because hey, we're we're giving him more discussion than uh, than I had thought that we even would. So I'll put him in the maybes. Um, Gorilla Monsoon to me is in that just just quite not in that same range kind of thing too. Uh, but I think that there's worth discussion about that. Like he's kind of almost on that second tier for me too. How do you guys feel about monsoon? Um, so I, I think it's worth talking about how he got to that position and like the actual roles that he had with ownership of the WWE in the beginning. And he became one of like the forefathers that, Guys like him and Arnold Skoland were always around because they were close confidants of Vince McMahon Sr. And as far as like how he was as a babyface and uh, as the president of the WWE, I thought it worked. And, you know, kind of like Tunney, but in more of the Monday Night War era, he was on TV more, but he only deliberated when he needed to and he probably made the greatest uh call of all time when he just removed psycho sid from a match for no other reason than well people don't want to see you they want to see a ladder match so go away and you know any anyone who can do that to sid it's a damn good guy in my book i think it was interesting with gorilla it's the fact that he was a former wrestler put into that role, who was the first president, quote-unquote president at the time, to actually be a former wrestler and somebody who could, obviously in his older age, not really do too much, but could still physically almost stand up to other wrestlers and get in their face. And he was a very outspoken person as a commentator as well. So it was, it was kind of... It's kind of believable that he would take on that sort of role, especially due to the fact that obviously behind the scenes he was had a position of power and authority and was actually considered to be a potential replacement as for Vincent Mann as the actual CEO if Vincent Mann was found guilty during that steroids trial. So we might have actually had in a different dimension or whatever, we'd have Gorilla Monsoon and his replacements as being the actual owners of WWE. But that's neither here nor there. It's more of a sense of that was kind of a time where the president's role became a bit more, I want to say over, I don't want to say overbearing at that point, but it was more of a, just a, a general feature as opposed to the more sporadic stuff that Jack Tunney was doing. So I don't know whether I'd, I wouldn't put him on the Mount Rushmore myself, but he, he again, he's worth a, a cursory amount of discussion. Yeah, it'd be an ultimate no for me, but worth talking about. All right, so we're going to take him off the list then. Uh, Corporate Kane, to me, is a fun character in a lot of different ways, but he's ultimately a no. I would I would love a general manager to have split personalities. <laughs> like, it would be so cool to just, like, one week he's a baby face and the next week he's or he or she is a heel, and they just, like, flips between the two. They could flip between them in the middle of a show, so one match they've, like, 
oh, we're going to give you this tight opportunity, but then he switches halfway through and goes, oh, but we're going to have this special referee that's going to be screwing you or whatever. It's like, it, it was it was a fun character, but I definitely wouldn't put him on the Mount Rushmore. Callum, you have that. Have you not seen Stephanie McMahon when she has to interact with the women over when she's interacting with the rest of the Raw roster? Yeah, I, I kind of just deem that as being a cunt. But, you know, that's like... <laughs> That's neither here nor there, really. <laughs> it's each their own. Uh, let's see. I've got... Um, this is where we start bridging into my other tier of whatever. Uh, Shane McMahon. Uh, no. No for me. I don't like yeah. Shane. I don't, I don't like... <laughs> I, I like Shane because he seems to be the only likable man. But I don't like him in a position of power. He just comes across as a bit of... Especially nowadays, he comes across as a bit of a dick. And when he's not been a dick, he comes across as a bit, like, ill-informed. And, like, you you can kind of tell, in the same way that Foley and Angle start over their lines, like, he often just flat-out forgets what he's going to say. And then instead of, like, stumbling around and eventually coming up with it, he just looks around to people and says, oh, what's my next line, or something along those lines. And, yeah, he's obviously taken many much abuse over the years so it might be a case of him suffering from that hopefully not but you never know well we were talking split personality type things and i kind of look at shane in two different ways shane as general manager who if he's in a segment where it's like i'm defending smackdown as my brand and fuck monday night raw i like it but when he comes out and he's like Okay, all right. Well, this is what's going to happen tonight. It it just seems a little blah. Yeah. Are we also, are we also accounting like his kind of roles in the corporation and owner of WCW as well into this? Yeah, and those are fun in certain ways. I I, I liked the stuff where he was obviously just like the lackey to Vince and stuff like that because he he felt like he was he would obviously be the heir apparent to Vince and he was the like the head honcho whenever Vince wasn't around he was in charge and he was very inept in that role and that was that was a lot of fun uh the owner of WCW was it was fine when he was a baby face it really veered off when he turned heel in just sense of he didn't feel right to be the heel because like it started off so well with the idea of oh Vince has always been like this evil bastard and Shane is like the good guy, the good son, the guy standing up for his mother and the guy who wants to take down his tyranny, essentially. And then they just flipped it around because WCW sucks and they wanted to take along the storyline that, yeah, WWE does suck and they're going to try and take over this company. But we could go on for hours about how much the invasion was a bad, ill, ill fallout storyline. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't put him on the, the top thing. There are, there are two McMahons that are more likely to be on the Mount Rushmore than he is. Very much so. Uh, one of them being Stephanie McMahon. No, she's not going on the Mount <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. That's why no, I set you up for that. Now, no. Stephanie, uh, she is in my next tier type of thing because Stephanie, she's just kind of carved that out for herself a little bit. And when push comes to shove, I will vote no for Stephanie, depending on who else is in the discussion. But to me, there's one, two, three, four five people at the very least that I would put above her. Um, 
Stephanie, she... Yeah, one of them is. <laughs> uh, Stephanie does serve really good purposes in certain ways. But I, I don't want the Mount Rushmore to be three McMahons, kind of, or four McMahons. And, I mean, let's just be honest. Vince McMahon's fucking going on there. So... Spoiler alert. You know, I kind of. We know it's happening. Come on. (laughs) We haven't even discussed him yet. (laughs) We don't need to. He's he's on there. Um, Stephanie, though, like I, actually, I'll just I'll throw my other two cards on the uh, table right now too with this tier. Ric Flair and Vicky Guerrero are two other ones that I have in the same range as Stephanie McMahon. Where, yeah, I would vote Stephanie over Ric Flair, and I would vote Stephanie over Vicky, but. I don't know, like, like, how do you guys view that whole situation? Well, I don't think Flair, Flair should have been in the discussion with Booker T. I don't know why he's up here. Um, Vicky, I think, definitely deserves to be in the discussion. I, yeah, well, given those three, Stephanie above Vicky, Vicky above Rick. Like, for sure, for me. Uh, with With Stephanie, and I make no I hide no facts about how much I dislike Stephanie McMahon, both as a character and as not as a person person, but as a business person. I, I see a, a very distinct difference between Stephanie McMahon, the mother, the person, the all those good things which I've heard nothing but good things about, and Stephanie McMahon, the business woman who seems to be very callous and lacking of a soul in any sort of capacity. But it's she's held the like roles a as a big authority figure on Raw or SmackDown or wherever for well since two thousand and one really with owning ECW and maybe even before that with the McMahon Helms the era kind of portrayed as like an authority figure. So it's been nearly twenty years where we've had Stephanie McMahon in some sort of authoritative role. Like obviously take a few breaks here and there. But and She's a really good character as a heel, but she's such an irritant. Like, she is... When Vince McMahon made the heel authority figure a really big thing, him and, like, Vince and Eric Bischoff made the heel authority figure, like, a really good selling point, Stephanie McMahon killed it. She absolutely uh... ruined this this role because she did it far too much, and she made it... To, and she was too inconsistent in it. She... Take, she... It's not a case of like she, where I like neutral general managers that call things either way. She belittles people either way. Essentially, she'll screw people over either way, rather than take situations as they come and decide, oh, this person is in the right or this person in the right. I'm going to have this match or this situation to resolve it. She'll she'll punish anybody for any reason, and that's not and that just makes her like loathable, and it doesn't make anybody else. It doesn't get anybody else over. It's kind yeah. of my two cents on it, really. It's um, essentially, oh, she's a oh. uh, she's a maybe for me, but I can't say like Vince, where okay, you're definitely going on because she's been great and has gotten people to legitimately hate her, but I think it's also gotten to a point where it's just like go away, and it's not that like good. Oh, I can't wait to see what happens next week. It's I I'm so sick of you and Tony. I think. You'd put Vicky Guerrero on this list if I just 
put on a recording right now of Stephanie McMahon saying Monday Night Raw. You know, I just <laughs> like it. Go ahead. It's, get, it's, get, well, it's just getting to the point with me that I I lo- I want authority figures in WWE, and Vince Man's a huge exception to this because of how big he was in the role. But I I want general managers and stuff like that to be more ancillary characters that occasionally get big storylines where they have to be involved and stuff like that. Whereas Stephanie, it's all about her. It's all about her being the big deal and her doing all that stuff. She's if she if it was a slightly more toned down, or even if it was just her and she was on there less frequently then I'd be okay with it. But it's just because it's, when it's her, when she's on the show, it's all about her. Well, we can all agree, though, even if we wrote a uh, vote uh, Stephanie out, that she's still above uh, Ric Flair. She's well ahead um, of Ric yeah. Flair. Yeah. Like, that there's no comparison. Stephanie's in the discussion, at the very least. Ric Flair, he was a big part of a lot of different things, but he ultimately just doesn't measure up. And I know some people will probably be like, yeah, but Ric Flair was a part of the whole brand split and all the other kinds of things. That's why I kind of put him up a little bit higher because he he served a big functional purpose. Yet, to me, just just a no. I think Austin was more important as an authority figure in the brand split than Ric Flair. Yeah, yeah that's true. It, it's kind of sense like Ric Flair was, he, he, he feels like a big part of the brand split because he was the one that was in charge when the brand split happened. But he he was only in charge beyond that point for another like four months, if that, and then he was back to being a wrestler again. So I I don't think he has any when near the longevity or really the importance for it, which is a shame because I think he would have well as shown in WCW for multiple times where he was president or like running the company or something like that. He would have made a really good authority figure. I'm glad you brought that up because one of my favorite Ric Flair moments just ever is when he's let the power go to his head and I think Piper's in the ring with him and he goes, I'm Ric Flair and I'm the president of the United States. <laughs> and it's just like, he's totally delusional and he was in his underwear at that point. And like, that's a very Ric Flair thing to me. I believe Ric Flair would be a very power drunk human being. So let's talk Vicky because Vicky is, she was a big deal for a while on SmackDown and SmackDown. There's no weight in my mind. I don't know about you guys, but being on SmackDown doesn't hinder you from being on the Mount Rushmore of the discussion. But I kind of feel like Vicky is disqualified a little bit because Vicky was another one of those kind of jokey sort of roles where, um, you know, she overtook the position from Teddy long and she made it her own in a lot of ways. So that's why she's definitely up there in this, like, you know, secondary tier kind of a thing for me. But, uh, Vicky, that's a good way to put this. Like, Vicky, to me, as a general manager, it was more about getting her character over than it was about her being in a position of power in certain ways. It, that's not really a good way to put it. I'm struggling over a way to kind of formulate my thoughts but i guess like vicky being such a heat magnet she was almost better as a manager than she was a general manager to me you know what uh, i mean it's it's hard for me to like i everything i say does not formulate the way i kind of want it to but 
I kind of disqualify her a little bit from it. Not disqualify fully, but like I, I vote no in the grand scheme of things for her. For me, she's in the discussion because of that initial 2008 run. She was the biggest heat magnet in WWE. And I think it's also worth saying she was the last recipient of man on woman violence in WWE when The Undertaker hit her with the tombstone because that's how much of a heat getter she was. She was even, you know, she caught the ire of The Undertaker and people popped huge when he hit, he hit her with that tombstone. So I definitely think it's worth talking about. I I adore Vicky Guerrero. She was so good in her role. She was such a good character. And it's the fact that she's in many ways the opposite of Stephanie in the sense that she was this like this dominant female character, which is great to have. Like great to have like a female character given such prominence and position of power and authority. But she was so inept. But that was the the charm of it was the fact that she was a heel that got screwed over by the baby faces constantly. And that's what heels are supposed to do. It's not a case of like the heels always getting the last laugh and situations like that and keeping the baby faces down until like once in a blue moon the baby faces win and we're supposed to go wild for it. It's meant to be like a sense that they're supposed to be a bit of a joke. If they're going to be the heel authority figures, they should be the ones being made the butt of the joke of most of the time. And she was, and she sold it amazingly. She she must go like be right near the top of the list of like somebody who was surprisingly fantastic in her role throughout the entire thing. Like somebody you would never expect to be as good as she was. Oh, for sure. Everything she did. Like, you kind of thought when she was initially brought in, it was like, oh, it's kind of, not not in a bad way almost, but just a sense of saying, oh, they're doing it because of Eddie and stuff like that, and we'll, we'll give her a role on TV just to support her and stuff like that. But she absolutely flourished in that role. I agree 100%. And... The the thing that disqualifies me for her is the sense that she was easily manipulated. Which I know is a character thing and shouldn't really be held too much against her. But it's the fact that when she was general manager, in reality, Edge was really general manager. Because even though she was making decisions, she was making decisions because she was in love with Edge. That's kind of what I mean with like the, the her being a manager overtakes the general manager thing a little bit to me. She was too tied to one person. If she would have been, you know, screwing over multiple different people and multiple different types of storylines, then maybe I'd put her just a tiny notch above. But it was really just the La Familia type thing. Eventually, she did do stuff with Big Show, and she did do stuff with Eric Escobar and whatever, which is like, <laughs> you well. know. Yeah, so it's kind of like... <laughs> I like how Tony says Eric Escobar over just anybody else. Uh, that, that, that name encapsulates everything that... She- uh, like Tony hated about like that era. I fucking hated it so much. I Eric Escobar is one of my go-to names. It's Eric Escobar, Bam Neely, Ricky Ortiz. Like it's just that whole section was just kind of like fuck you constantly. Uh, I yeah, I kind of I kind of put Vicky in with like Jack Tunney and Stephanie, where I'm gonna say no, but I can understand why people would make the argument for it. And they're they're way up on the list for me because we're getting we we knocked out like forty something people or whatever it was already. Yeah, so 
let's get to yeah. the uh, main event. This. All right, this one you guys are going to kind of throw me under the bus a little bit for, but I'm I'm merging three things together just for a part of a discussion, and I know that this is like you said earlier that you don't value joke ones, Tony, but the anonymous raw general manager. That idea, not not Hornswoggle, because Hornswoggle is a guarantee. No, he only popped up to be like, oh my god, and then run away. But Michael Cole being the... I, I don't know, like the personification of the anonymous Raw general manager. I fucking loved it. I thought that Cole was amazing as this asshole that wasn't even the guy necessarily, but if they would have made it to where he would have been, then it would have been, it wouldn't have made a lot of sense with like a couple times Cole kind of would have screwed him itself over kind of a thing. But I really, really enjoyed that as something different. And you go like, in the middle of a match, all right, uh, a report from the anonymous world general manager, and people are just like, fuck. I really thought that that was innovative and interesting. I legitimately have Michael Cole as anonymous world general manager go-to type of guy in my, like, I don't know, my number eighth spot or something. Maybe not my number six. I'll, I'll say this about the anonymous Raw General Manager stuff. It was different and it was interesting. And I, I again, I agree with you. I liked Michael Cole in that role. My thing that I didn't like about Michael Cole was the fact that he was the play-by-play guy. And so that meant that he was also doing most of the commentary work and him being a heel doing most of the commentary work was bad. If he was kind of just a, a colour commentator during that time and they brought someone else in to do the the other role, then it might have worked a bit better than it did. But Cole was too overbearing as a commentator. But doing the stuff with the Royal General Manager, I thought was was good. Uh, and the obviously the overwhelming issue with the anonymous Royal General Manager is the fact that there was no payoff to it, or no real payoff to it. If there had been some person coming up with the, and they had brought in somebody interesting that was pulling the strings, and they didn't just go lower hornswoggle at the end, then. Yeah then I would totally give it merit other than that. I, but the fact that it doesn't have a satisfying end means that I can't, I can't put it on Mount Rushmore. Were you guys always under the impression that it was just going to be Cole himself? Because I think the popular belief is that it was supposed to be Hunter. I, I would have been happier if it was Cole. Mm-hmm. I, 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 th- I thought it would have made perfect sense and it would have been a good way of doing things, a good way to wrap it up to say that Cole was the one behind it all along. Yeah, that was what was, I wanted. And he was protecting his own, like, uh, biased decision-making. Because they know that if if uh, they found out it actually was him, they would be able to beat him up because he's at ringside all the time. Yeah, so, and if they, like, the times where Cole got screwed over by the anonymous Raw GM, you can kind of write that off as being like, yeah, I was trying to get you off my scent kind of a thing. Yeah, and they could have just ended it with the with that Jerry Lawler feud that it finds out like the night after he finally loses to Lawler that oh yeah he was actually the enormous general manager and then he gets fired from that but he goes back to the commentary thing with his tail between his legs. Yeah, that would have been a much better thing, and then I think that that would have helped this discussion a little bit more too. Well, yeah, definitely. The hornswoggle thing fucks it over. Like, did they just do the punk thing and it was like, oh, okay, forget it. Yeah, that was. Well, Lawler had that heart attack thing too. Oh yeah. That so was much, that, much later, though. 
Yeah, but that was kind of like where people went like, oh, okay, Cole can't be like a bad no, guy. You're, you're misunderstanding. That was literally a year and a half later. Yeah. What do you mean? Wait, well, wait. The feud? Ha- no, the feud happened before I mean, the heart attack. No. Yeah. No, oh yeah, the feud happened before the heart attack, but it was a while after the. The heart attack happened a year and a half later. So it, it yeah, but I mean, been... that's when people like because people still were booing Cole. Oh yeah, they still. Well, yeah, and it was talking about the GM thing. Oh, the GM. No, that's a different story then. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It, it kind of just faded into the ether, really. I don't. I honestly can't remember what the actual ending of that the, the quote-unquote ending was before the horn talk stuff it kind of just disappeared over time i i think if i had to put money on it what ended up happening was punk happened and then that brought vince back out onto tv so they just kind of threw everything out the window because then like hunter was a full-time character Laurenitis became a character and there was no need for it. Yeah, I honestly can't remember because I just go straight to the Hornswoggle thing, which was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Because I, one of the top things that they never played on was Edge and Jericho were on the tail of the GM, and like Edge destroyed the computer, and Jericho claimed he knew who it was, and they just sort of let things go. And I never, I don't like when they do that. I hate it when WWE books with the mentality of we'll figure it out because they almost never do. Mm-hmm. It's really stupid. Uh, how do you guys feel about Eric Bischoff? Love him. He was amazing. He was such a good general manager. He, it's, it, I mean, we can obviously talk about Eric Bischoff, WCW, Supremo, head honcho for so long, comes in to WWE as like the hug that shook the world or whatever you want to deem it as. But as a general manager, he was so, such a sleazeball. He was so perfect for that era of Monday Night Raw because Triple H was on top the entire time. So it made sense to have an, a heel authority figure that wasn't exactly had his back, but would lean towards him and try and make things difficult for certain baby faces. He was misogynistic. He was... Uh, he introduced so many different match concepts as well. Like he, he felt that he was. It felt like he felt Raw was like his new WCW. In a sense, and that, for a while it was. Yeah, in the sense that he would introduce new match types. He would try and show Vince McMahon that he was doing such a good job with things. He would take liberties with certain wrestlers. Like I said, like he would, he would often try and like chat up and force the the female wrestlers to do stuff that they wouldn't normally do, which is not a good thing that definitely wouldn't fly in uh, this Modern point in time. But he was often screwed over doing it, which is the right way of doing it. And then he was beaten up all the time by Austin and loads of other baby faces. He wasn't afraid to take bumps. And I, I just, anything that, not I don't say anything was good because I wasn't really watching Raw at that time because, again, Triple H was at the top of it all the time and it would seem very heel-dominated. It's kind of like... I wouldn't say like Raw nowadays, but it just felt like it was a platform for the heels to celebrate and you only got sporadic good things from the baby faces every now and again. And so that that's not really a fun show to watch. But Bischoff was a, a big innovator and he like the Raw Roulette stuff and things like that was it was it made certain shows a lot of fun. And piggybacking off of everything Callum said, 
Eric Bischoff's decisions mattered. And unlike so many names we just mentioned, Vicky and, you know, Gorilla, anybody, you know that story played out beautifully and it arced and it finished perfectly. I can tell you exactly when it started and when it ended. Yeah. So how do you guys, I mean, we got to eventually make a decision when it comes to who gets in that discussion. Is Eric Bischoff a potential Mount Rushmore? Yes. Well within the discussion. All right. He is. He's on my, uh, my potential list too. So good. Uh, Paul Heyman as well. Worth a lot of discussion. No, he's not. Because if we're just talking about general managers, his SmackDown role in all three is kind of forgettable. If we're, t- we're talking about his, I-, I class like three things potentially if we're talking about him in WWE, which is him being part of the Alliance, which is still mainly as a commentator. So I don't know if we can really count that as any sort of authority role. His run as general manager on SmackDown was was fun for what it was, but it was very brief. And again, it was it was kind of just a sense of him being like again, it's another heel authority figure. He backed Brock Lesnar, he backed the big show, people like that. It's not really but it's it wasn't really that memorable. Um, the most thing I remember from it is like the fact that he was like offensive towards the Mexicans. It's like Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, who just like would try and push them down a lot, and then the stuff with ECW really should just be forgotten about entirely. So I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't put Paul Heyman as a WWE authority figure. All right, fair enough. More for a lot of other things, and I hope we're talking about him again soon, but not for this. Fair enough. I can see the argument behind that. I was, you know, maybe a little bit of. Uh crossover in my mind of thinking the ECW stuff was more but now that you're kind of bringing it up like oh. I don't remember him having too much to do with that ECW for a little bit and stuff and well, was, yeah you only, know what? yeah he was only in charge for like six months and then he yeah. left essentially so and they immediately turned him heel which is the stupidest whatever I don't want to get off on that tangent about the three ECW so this the four that I'm going to bring up as my final four these were the four that I had written when I was going through my list, these were my Mount Rushmore uh, people. Uh, so I'm interested if you guys think that we should be potentially replacing one of them or what. One of them being Teddy Long. Hell yeah. How long is this dude GM for? Like like 18 fucking years <laughs> as well. Like, I think it was supposed uh, actually like seven or something, but he got it, it felt like he was just a mainstay. And I feel like he was kind of the GM until Laurinaitis, and that was 2012, so about seven and a half, eight years. He was so much fun. He's, like He became a meme, and that's just like the, the, the ultimate goal, really, of any like WWE superstar performer. The, the tag team match stuff was just great. And just... Almost it's like the sense of like you say the word in a general manager, he's the first person that springs to mind. Yeah. Yeah, he's like especially when you think of like figureheads on SmackDown, like he's the number one. Oh yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of different types of authority figures in WWE, but you say general manager, it's kind of Teddy Long and Eric Bischoff, I kind of equate as the main two. But he was just he just did his job. 
which is probably the best That's thing I could say about awesome. it. awesome. Yeah, he just did his job. And he was very charismatic. He was fantastic on the mic. He got involved in a lot of, like, kooky skits behind the scenes, like being with Aksana and uh, Crystal at different points in time, the heart attack thing, which was stupid, <laughs> but, you know, that sort of stuff. The stuff with The Undertaker in the limo and interest. Like, yeah. It was just like, he was involved in a lot of fun skits, but for the most part, he just did his job. He is the reason why I didn't have Jack Tunney hire, because in my mind, Teddy Long filled the part of the Jack Tunney thing, and then some. Because Jack Tunney was the type of guy that it's like, can you go out there and just like be the position of power to announce something, and he's just like a cardboard cutout, whereas Teddy Long did that. But he brought character into the mix, and he got involved in other things too. Like he, the best way to put it up is what you had said. He just did his job, and that's sometimes that's better than anything else. Yeah. It's just like with I agree with you in the sense that Teddy Long, because of his charisma and like the positivity that he showed, and all of the other aspects, he was able to just do his job and be part of the show week to week. But he never felt like he took precedent over the right. superstars that were on the show. And when he did, it felt important. Or it felt like it was a big deal at that point in time. It's like, oh my god, Teddy Long's been involved in the main event story, other than the fact that he's just saying that this is going to be the title match or whatever. It it felt like a bigger deal, and I kind of wish there'd been more general managers like Teddy Long. Absolutely. Or at least we had them now. And All right, so he is he's certainly big, a big, debate. Yeah, like, yeah. Top, like, top listing ones. I am a big fan of William Regal. Oh yeah. I love William Regal as well. We're getting into the good ones now. Yeah, this, I mean, this is these were my top four, so it's like... I mean, uh, William Regal, you talk about Commissioner for the early 2000s, and this was this was a, like, a real... Like, it needed to be a big win for Regal, because Regal had only just come back to WWE from, and almost immediately became Commissioner. And he he was so good in the role because he's such... He's a person that has the authority and like the diabolical wickedness and the credibility behind him, but he's also a goofball who absolutely and like he doesn't just like isn't just happy with being the butt of jokes. He thrives with being the butt of jokes. But as he's transitioned over time, especially with the NXT, he feels just such a legitimate authority figure. Feels like such a person in power that his way goes and he's not going to be, he's not going to be intimidated by everybody. And it's not that the wrestlers are scared by him, but they respect him so much that they'll go along with what he says. It's fantastic for the, for NXT. One of the uh, best selling points of NXT. First of all, as the commissioner in the 2000s, so many memorable things, his partnership with Tajiri, uh, Jericho pissing in the tea. The word besmirched, like, William Regal had so many great moments. And then when they brought him back for this role in 2008, and he became the GM slash King of the Ring, he was mm. just like a power mad villain. And he really almost assumed a role of a mad king. And had he not gotten suspended for the wellness violation, that would have turned into an amazing story. And then... The NXT role, he complements that so perfectly. He does not overstep his boundaries. He, he, when he makes an announcement, when he says war games, like he's delivering that with real fervor and it, 
Everything William Regal does is fantastic, and I think he absolutely needs to be in the discussion. He's responsible for one of my favorite general manager things, too, which was when he was shutting the lights off. Yeah, that's when he was the King of the Ring slash... The King of the Ring thing, yeah, and yeah. feuding with Kennedy. I fucking loved that, and I remember people going ape shit, hating it, and I was like, that's the point. Like, How you, you guys are getting worked. Like, he's he's supposed to be hated right now, and you are hating it because of the exact reason why. It's There's difference between, oh, I hate it when... You know, the Roman Reigns stuff that's been going on and the Brock Lesnar stuff that's been going on and all this stuff where it's like WWE's trying to piss you off by just making you not a fan. William Regal was pissing you off because he's sitting there trying to be like, everybody be quiet, I'm in charge and whatever. And that's like, that heat is amazing. And had he not uh, gotten suspended, he was even going to be in the running for a feud with Triple H for the WWE title. So it could have been King slash GM slash WWE champion. And at the very least, just those matches would have been great. And he really shines in any role he's given, you know, so good. And there's also something about the legitimacy factor to this too. Cause we were talking earlier about the idea that it's funny when people go like, Hey, you know, uh, Daniel Bryan, why did you book this match on SmackDown and whatever? But with Regal, he actually does have some power in WWE. And when he is in a position of like the head talent recruit, and he's a part of the developmental territory, and he's the general manager of the developmental brand, there's a sort certain like um sort of believability that comes into that more than anybody else in my mind because i look at that and if william regal is saying i just signed this new guy and he seems like a really big deal matt riddle i go well fuck he actually did to a certain extent you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely he's he will be well he is and will continue to be a perfect right hand man for triple h's future in wwe and that's saying like a, a big compliment to a guy that's had so much experience in all forms of wrestling and now is like giving back in such a huge way and he just fits the role perfectly he's he's got the great mic skills he's got the authority he's got the credibility the longevity and it yeah it just all fits perfectly and he's neutral he doesn't over like rob said doesn't overstep his boundaries he doesn't appear too often when he does it it feels like it matters. Yeah, he's a great general manager. Perfect. And we just talked about him a minute ago, but this was another one in my mix, Triple H. There's a slight... I have a slight deliberation over Triple H in the sense that he is great in NXT. and He does do well as the COO role in WWE, and he will eventually be the top like male authority figure in all of WWE. But he hasn't been doing it for that long. The authority stuff I think sucks. And it had and it sucked for the most part. The only good thing to really come out of the authority stuff was the Daniel Bryan storyline. And other than that, it's been really turgid and it's really hampered the product. So not too much due to the authority, but the fact that the authority comes up on top so often and it dominates so many episodes of Raw, especially in like the the 2013-2014 arc, it was just too much. And 
realistically, besides that, Triple H hasn't really been much of an on-screen authority figure. He's been a real-life authority figure, and he definitely does have a, probably more power than anyone besides Vincent Mann or Stephanie McMahon behind the scenes out of anyone on this list. But we haven't really seen that come to the forefront on TV, I don't think. And when it has, it hasn't been that, well, it hasn't been that enjoyable. See, I look at the authority as the same as the corporation, just in a different era. And not as hot because they didn't have Austin. But you do have the Daniel Bryan stuff. And you do have other kind of feuds that were going on. And you have, like, the S.H.I.E.L.D. situation. And his work with the the whole COO thing has been stretching a bunch of years at this point. So he's got a lot of experience under his tenure like that. And that's just on Monday Night Raw. I buy when Triple H is a big deal for booting out Kurt Angle on Raw. Or when it's kind of like, oh man, shit's about to go down because even Triple H is here with Stephanie McMahon and they're going to, you know, really call the shots on Raw or something like that. But NXT alone, too, I think it's worth a discussion because when he comes out and he's cutting things about NXT, you know, we are NXT and stuff like that, it's a different type of uh, position. And I think he's going to get only better and better and better at this going forward and stuff like that. But already, I think he's worth the discussion. What do you say, Rob? Uh, you fall on Triple H? Well, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Triple H. And I think you can definitely make an argument that the authority storyline overstayed its welcome. But if we look at it strictly just from the Daniel Bryan story all the way through WrestleMania 32, I think it's one of the last good stories that WWE told. And it had a good ending. It's just a matter of when they need a hot feud, they dust Triple H off. And that's not necessarily his fault. You know? and. Again, the NXT stuff he's great with. I don't think he's a maybe for me. We have to talk about the other names on the list because I think there are others that are more deserving in this role. But I think 10 years from now, he'll be a yes for sure on the Mount Rushmore. And the only other person I have left on my list to talk about is Vinnie Mac. So am I forgetting anybody? What the hell did he ever do? Pass, right, Callum? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he was on TV every now and again. Like, did the a few announcer? Things. The announcer? What? <laughs> oh, what a maneuver. It's like, yeah, yeah that was there. That was a good guy. I got him. put Sean Mooney on this list. Oh, was that, was that, wasn't that, wasn't that Vincent Mann's son? You know, the guy that, like, ran the company for. Yeah, are we talking Vincent Mann Sr.? Uh, he should be on this list. <laughs> no, uh, well, Vince is on. Vince is the first name on this thing. So the- yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. It's not even worth discussing. Vince is on the list. Like he's all right. It's essentially just we need to figure out the three other authority figures on the Mount Rushmore because it's fucking Vince McMahon. But since we're like, here, what's your favorite Vince McMahon like authority figure moment? Huh. Oh, well, I mean, it'll probably be something from the Attitude Era, but. I'm trying to think of like one in particular that really stands out because there's like so many. I think as as stupid as it was, 
just because just because of the face because he's his facials are like one of the best in all wrestling. The reveal of the higher power stuff. It's just, <laughs> it's just such a good visual. And, it, and again, it's something that has become a meme over time. And it's just like, even though it was such a lame end to that storyline, it made absolutely no sense. It was just so funny to see him get involved in that. You could tell he's fucking loving it too. He, he loves that role. And it's so clear to see that it was almost like, he and again, you can't say that Montreal Screwjob was planned or anything like that. But it, it couldn't. If it had planned, it couldn't have gone any better than it did. It allowed him to unleash this side of his character that he was probably desperate to let out for years and years and years. And it worked so perfectly that it, the sad thing is, it worked so well that they can't escape it. Yeah, they've never been able to do well. Obviously, we have people like Teddy Long and stuff like that that have been like fun baby face general managers, but for the most part, they've never been able to escape the idea of an Austin McMahon feud, even though it will never ever be re- recreated. It can be tried again and it can get some good results, like the Daniel Bryan authority stuff, but it will never be the same. And they'll keep trying until they do do it again. Um, for for me, the absolute peak of Vince McMahon mainly because this is where he started to slow down and the business started to change. In 2006, he was absolutely off the rails as a character. He challenged God. There was the <laughs> thing at WrestleMania where Michaels beats the fuck out of him, and then he he's on the stretcher with just, like, the middle finger to Sean. And maybe my favorite Vince McMahon moment of all time, DX puts in a call that Stephanie's gone into labor and Vince is, you know, he grabs Coachman. He's like, you're in charge. I gotta get out of here. My daughter, Stephanie has always had the worst timing of anybody I've ever known. And now she's in labor. That bitch. (laughs) 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 And it's just like, it's peak Vince. McMahon, and that is why he will never be replaced on this list. He's the number one, and really, it's just it's an effigy in his honor, and we gotta build around him because he's the fucking man. Yeah, it's almost a situation where it's like, okay, Vince McMahon's so far above everybody else on this list to begin with, that he might as well just be the fifth name above the other four. Yeah. But we can't do that because it's Mount Rushmore, so... <laughs> You know, uh, so Trump that's where that giant statue himself over overlooking that. Oh God! <laughs> if it was, he'd be the uh, Washington Monument, right? Be Mount Rush even more. That was bad. Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad, but you know what? Fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> Maybe Mount Rush even more. Say, <laughs> Vince, your arms are huge. <laughs> oh, Vince. Your arms are huge. Striations. <laughs> uh, so the other three, I mean, uh, out of our our potential discussions, things, I'm pretty sure we can not put the Michael Cole anonymous raw GM one no, in there. No. Uh, and I think that we've had enough dings to take out Stephanie McMahon, uh, Vicky Guerrero, Jack Tunney, and Paul Heyman. Jack Tunney's still in there. Just I'm keeping of... Jack Tunney. Yeah, I'm keeping Jack Tunney. Oh, yeah. you guys are keeping them? All right, so I'll, br- I'll bump him up on my list here. 
which means that in my notes, I've got Vince McMahon's the number one, and we need three more. Three more out of these five. Triple H, Teddy Long, Eric Bischoff, Jack Tunney, and William Regal. Ooh. Oh. If I'm picking, I'm saying Teddy Long needs to be one of them. I, I want I want Teddy Long to be one of them. Yeah. Just All right, there you go. Get, just because he does, he did his job. There you go. So Teddy Long to me, uh, and I guess now all of us, Teddy Long is our. Well, we're not ranking him number two, but he's he's our he's second out of our four. List, yeah. yeah. He did his job, man. <laughs> so now we need two out of the four. It's Regal. Bischoff, Tony, and Triple H. I'm just thinking we've got two names already, and then if we add another two, we've got enough for a tag team match play. <laughs> <laughs> well, if one on one with the Undertaker is what you get out of the Mount Rushmore, I don't know if anybody wants to really get that. Well, then obviously that's Triple H's role. Just say so he can try to beat him again. Um, if I have to pick between those four, if I have to pick two, I would probably say. Either Regal and Bischoff or Regal and Triple H over Jack Tony. But I, I think Regal would be my, one of them for sure. My my two. I actually get rid of Triple H. Yeah, I, I, I'm getting rid of Triple H as well. All right, well, by the sheer math, Triple H is out. Just, just he hasn't done it long enough, and I don't think he's really had a memorable moment in the role. Because his roles have led to him being Triple H the wrestler again. So I, I, I don't think as a strict authority figure he's had that memorable with time yet. He will be eventually, but not right now. Then between the other ones, this is a difficult three to pick two yeah. My argument against Jack Tunney is I feel like it's nostalgia more than it is anything else. Yeah, but and... we've always have had at least one nostalgia-driven person on these Mount Rushmore's. And we don't have to. That's not a rule. I no, it's not. It's not a hard and fast rule. But I go along the lines of with the Jack Tunney one, in the sense that, like I said, I I like the Jack Tunney role almost more than I liked just Eric Bischoff's character. And I loved Eric Bischoff, but I appreciate the Jack Tunney role as more than I appreciate Jack Tunney in the who was the actual person doing it because he wasn't very charismatic and he wasn't very memorable. But what he encapsulated is kind of not the perfect, but an archetype authority figure for me. Something that only gets involved when it really felt important. But if he'd have been more charismatic or he'd been a different person or somebody else was in that role, then maybe it would be a lot easier to decide. The fact that he wasn't means that there is more of a debate. But if I was going for the two, I'd go, my choice would be Jack Tunney and William Regal. Hmm. I you gotta have Tunny on there just for the sheer historical part of it. I'm struggling between Bischoff and Regal because Regal is very he's the perfect fit for the role. But Eric Bischoff as a character GM had so many monumental moments like Elimination Chamber. Whenever I say those words, I go back to Eric Bischoff, you know pounding the lead pipe on the chamber and making those rolls, the raw roulette and Bischoff is almost my true nostalgia driven one because he was such a huge part of raw when I was growing up. 
So I don't I don't know, man. I'm I'm gonna grit my teeth and say if I have to pick one, I'm going Bischoff, which leaves Tony. You're the tiebreaker. So he doesn't want Tony on it. So he wants Bischoff and Well no, but, but we, <laughs> Yeah, it's so we got we got so by that by that we've got I would vote Regal and Bischoff. Yeah, and I so would vote, what would, yeah. so we're I'd vote Tony and Regal, and he'd vote Bishop and Tony. He'd vote Bishop and Tony. So basically, we have Callum, to put Jeremy you're, Piven you're Tony, on. We have to put Jeremy Piven on the list. You're Tony and Tony and Regal, Callum. <laughs> yeah, and then Tony and Bischoff for Rob. Yeah, I, huh. I, I, <laughs> that's tough. I will say, Rob has kind of sold me a bit more in the area Bischoff one, so I'm willing to change to. Regal and Bischoff, and get rid of Tony. <laughs> so, unfortunately, you've also kicked Tony off the list by being Wait, so convincing oh. with the <laughs> Bischoff one. Alright, that's the end. I'm stamping it. <laughs> it's worth, worth uh, still deliberating, at least. Um, I, I, yeah. I'm going to put on, because uh, I've been keeping track of Mount Rushmore's in the past, that we've been doing secondary lists, and... Without a doubt, these people are going to be on the secondary list. Triple H will be on the secondary list too, I would imagine yeah. too. Yeah. Um. So right now we've got Vince McMahon and Teddy Long, and then if Callum sticks with his uh, most recent thing, all right. So then that that becomes our uh, our four then, and then it's uh Jack Tunney gets booted to the secondary list, oh. uh, which would be it would be then um. McMahon, Teddy Long, William Regal, and Eric Bischoff are our uh, primary Mount Rushmore. And then Jack Tunney, Triple H. Who would the other two be then for our secondary? Uh, I'd put Stephanie and Vicky, I think. Yeah, me too. Jack Tunney, Stephanie McMahon... And you know what? I'm cool with Vicky Guerrero and Stephanie doing that too. Yeah, because uh, the only other person that I would think that would be worth really deliberating about would be like maybe like Monsoon or uh, a laptop. Yeah, or the Michael Cole anonymous raw GM or you know whatever. So yeah, that that seems like that's that's a pretty good list. I think our mm-hmm. secondary list for those who just didn't listen to the past 45 seconds is Jack Tunney, Stephanie McMahon. Vicky Guerrero and Triple H and our Mount Rushmore of authority figures officially is Eric Bischoff, William Regal, Teddy Long, and Vince McMahon. I like that list. I think that's strong. I like the list. Hell yeah. I mean, I besmirched Jack Tunney. Yeah, you you really like threw Jack Tunney out. And limb there really. <laughs> I was like, well, oh, how great Eric Bischoff was, and I was so close between I was so close between Eric Bischoff and Jack Tunney, and then you just l- lauded Eric Bischoff so much that I kind of had to just change my mind. Well, because you would agree with me, like we were children of the ruthless aggression era, and he was so good. Yeah, he was. He had more memorable moments as a more charismatic and entertaining individual. I appreciate the fact that Tunney was only around when it mattered, and that is something that I like about it, but as Tony said, anyone could have filled that role. Yeah, they could have just had Vince McMahon do the announcement. They could have had something. the anonymous Raw General Manager all along was Jack Tunney. That would have been great. Well, <laughs> if they would have just done that. The anonymous Raw General Manager, would that have been like letter writing? <laughs> like it's like the, carrier uh, pigeon like, or something? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe one of those newfangled cell phones we 
heard so much of it. <laughs> like cordless telephones. Like a like a Paul E sized cell phone. Yeah. I like it. Somebody comes out with one of those like the uh ticker tape kind of things of the um Morse code. I received <laughs> I, I received a fax from the anonymous raw general manager. <laughs> Telegram from the Royal General Manager. <laughs> and, and it's Sean Mooney, or no, better yet, it's uh, Mean Gene Okerlund. Uh, excuse, not excuse me. What was his thing? Uh, and I quote. And then it was uh, revealed that it was um. It's Ted DiBiase all along. I was trying to think of a ah. wrestler at the time. Didn't they used to have a midget wrestling league in like the the early Attitude Era or something? Uh, you know what Max was? Mini. Brutus, yeah. Uh, Fucking barber. Oh, it was Dink. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, back in that era when they used to give people extra jobs, if there would have been somebody who was on there, they would have been. My job on the side is that I'm a general manager. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, it would have been IRS. Yeah. He also does the taxes. So that's our list. That's our Mount Rushmore, everybody. Make sure you leave a comment below. Tell us what you think about our list and what your picks would be if they are not the same as ours. Maybe you're somebody who's like, fuck it. I really, really liked, uh, I don't know, Taron or something. <laughs> yeah, like I just, you're a real big uh, fan of Jonathan Coachman. I don't know. Uh, either way, drop those comments below on YouTube or if you're listening to this on iTunes and Stitcher, drop them on the comments section of the website. Obviously, keep checking the website, smartcoutmoment.com, for everything that's happening there. If you want to be aware of the next thing that's happening on the YouTube channel, hit that subscribe button and ring the little bell for notifications. I actually don't remember offhand what our next thing is, but it's uh, probably TLC predictions, right? Yeah. Yeah. So TLC predictions are coming up next after the hot tags next week. Uh, Follow the Facebook and Twitter accounts at smartcoutmoment. Keep paying attention to fanboysanonymous.com as well for everything that's happening there. I... uh, posted something recently about the Oscars and I'm going to potentially write something up about Pokemon because I've been watching a let's play of let's go Pikachu. And it got me thinking about how predominantly the article started out with me being like, yeah, why isn't Geodude part fighting? So I might end up writing something up about that. Uh, five the time fucking, you know, whenever that happens. Head up the Patreon if you want to show your support on the monetary side of things. And you got a little bit of spare change you want to throw our way for any particular tier that is happening over there. It starts at a buck, goes up to as much as you want. I mean, if you got a thousand bucks you want to give me, I'm not going to turn it down. <laughs> you know? And you become a producer, so yeah, you, you become know, technically you a producer. Of the site. Manager of Smart and if you want to, I will have uh, things that I quote from you. I guess uh, the T Public and the Red Bubble shops are up there. If you want to buy a t-shirt or anything else that's happening there, if you're one of those people, somebody bought a pair of leggings the other day of something. I can't remember what it was. And I was just kind of like, all right, whatever. Um, I think that's it for my plug. So just follow that stuff and do the whole click thing and you'll find whatever else is happening all over the place on there. Oh, also eWrestlingNews.com and all that stuff too. Uh, Rob. Uh, well, if you also want to do a finding and a good clicking thing, you can check out WrestleZone.com. I will be back on the news desk in three hours i just got off it right now and i'll be back in three hours there's no WrestleZone daily today but i'll be back on there tomorrow as well um time killer apparel buy a t-shirt we got polo shirts we got hoodies i want to do more with that somewhere down the line and check out the triple threat this week and all the other wonderful weeklies 
Triple Threat this week is NXT 2018 Year in Review. We're talking Match of the Year, Superstar of the Year, and Future Breakout Star of 2019. So get after that, and I'm going to toss it to my favorite lad, Callum Wiggins. Oh, God, that's creepy. Uh, I'll move past it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. And along with all the other weekly stuff, you might want to check out the power rankings for this week, which I will be working on in due course. Uh, I'm expecting a lot of praise for people like uh, Becky Lynch, as usual, and Daniel Bryan for his fantastic promo stuff. And I assume you won't see Nia Jax on the list anymore. <laughs> just as I like, I like shitting on Nia Jax. It's like, it's my thing. It's fun. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. All righty, everybody. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening and all your support on all the different platforms and all the different ways that you guys can support us. We will see you next time. Adios, everybody. This has been another Smart Out Moment, and we're being counted out.